Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you, I was just reminiscing because my guest today, he was on in the very early days of Cooper Talk. Because if you go to my website, coopertalk.net, I have, I think it's 480 episodes up. He's number eight, people. Eight. Okay, just so you get an idea, when he was on the show, we were on Indy 100, we were on 92.5 WHY, whatever.com. Then it was Indy 100. And then. We're in a new studio now because when he came in, he said, it's a different studio. And you think about it, that was before I met Joanne because I've been with Joanne for four years. That's before I had a heart problem and came back to health after I was in a hospital for five days. It's a really long time and you think about it. And it's amazing is, you know, I'm still doing this and his career is blowing up. He's, he's hosting stuff. He's doing his you know, company. And he was always nice because I sent him a message and he was very nice. And then I sent him a message again. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And he's uh, he's a wonderful guy, and it's Jimmy Pardo. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I, I guess my big question for you is, because uh, we don't know each other very well, but uh, why, why was I your eighth guest? That seems so early. Well, no, you know what I think it was? I don't think you were my, I, as I said, I think you're my eighth episode. But what happened was I must have seen you on Conan, or I must have seen, or someone must have, I knew your name from comedy. I'm great, yes. And I would sit there, and I would go on, yeah, no, you are a very funny guy, and I would go on Facebook, and I would find different acts, and I remember, like I said, Paul Tompkins was an early guest, because he's an old friend. Right. And then I ran into Darren Carter at the uh, Flappers. He is, of course, the party starter. Yes, and I brought him on, Uh and then I ran, I don't don't know if you were before or after Cato, because then I ran into Cato Kalin, and now it's so prominent because that TV show is on, but yeah, but I saw you, and I said, okay, and I was booking a lot of comics, and I I sent you a message on Facebook, because I would just send people messages, you know, I mean, you must have been like 15 episodes or 20 episodes Okay. because I sat there and I probably put people who have been on and if you get a thing on who are these people but now it's like I send you know I just said Phil Rosenthal on from Everyone Loves Raymond of course great guy different people so I said now I can send it and people go oh wow he's had a lot of people but you were nice enough and I probably said you know I mean you think you get a message of Paul Tompkins Cato Kalin and someone I don't even know Darren Carter you're probably going what the hell I think I had Chris Mancini I don't know if you know him I do know I know Chris very well and uh, John Matta I know John very well. Okay, John's... They're all my old Philly buddies. Right, that makes sense. And I forget who else. Blaine Capache, Blaine Capich, sure. Yeah, that's so... I think and I hit you up, and, and you came on, and I was like, hey, it was great, and you were you were a great guest. Do we remember what year that was? That was... I looked it up. It was September 2011... Four and a half years ago, so 2011... 2012... Okay. Yep, I think. I'm not right. But yeah, well, I'm glad to be back. I'm on a four-year rotation. It exactly. feels good. <laughs> it's it's like those old comedy clubs. Remember, because you worked, you grew up working the circuits. Of course. Like you know, you do a gig, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We like it. We like it. Yeah, and you're like, all right, and you call, and they call. Okay, we we only rotate our features every eight months. It would, or worse, would you go? Uh, you'd hear, well, you know, you can go back once a year. And then when they, you'd have a great week, and they'd go, well, we're on an 18-month rotation. What? That was yeah. 18 months? <laughs> you know, making it harder for us to get work. And uh, uh, But luckily, those days are over, and now I don't uh, – I say no more than I say yes. Exactly. Well, now, yeah, because, you know, you have a lot of other things going on. But yeah. in the beginning – now, you started out comedy – In Chicago, yeah. Okay, so you were – which Chicago was such a, a big improv city. What was it like with the stand-up? Was it easier? Oh, it was uh, – you know, I started in the boom in the late 80s. Uh, the boom was happening, and I didn't leave the uh, – I didn't leave the city for a year, and I was working. And, uh, you know, there was an open mic or, a, uh, you know, every night you can go to two or three open mics. It was, you know, very New York in, in that way. Uh, but then there were also, and I was kind of a victim of this, I, I, 
they needed comedians. They, you know, every comedy night needed a comic. And so I was making 50 bucks doing a show for people that paid five, 10 bucks to come in. Whereas I should have been an open mic. I should have been still failing and struggling. Instead, I was failing and struggling, but getting money for it. Um, so I, I got paid very early on. Uh, it was a really great scene in the late 80s for, for stand-up. Yeah, it was weird because I, I, I started probably when I got out of college in 86. I probably started in 88 and, and the same thing. Like back then, luckily, I, I learned the how to be an MC. Right. That was the key. That's what I did too. I learned how to be an MC. And then all of a sudden, it's like, this guy's great, yeah. even if you weren't that great. you know. Because you went up and you'd have to – and the difference, I always laugh now because like you see shows and it's like – the headliner does 15 minutes. Well, when we were MCs, you did 15 up front, you did five in between. Yeah. And there was a booker named Andy Scarpati. And he he had like eight clubs. And we had three in Philadelphia. And I remember he liked me because there was, I don't know if you remember, there was a one of the funniest comics out of Philadelphia. And there was a guy named Grover Silcox. Mm-mm. Well, he was he had the true meaning of cool. And he, he recommended me. I don't even know how he knew me. I was like, oh, wow. So I remember I did a gig with him. It was like a... He goes, oh, we'll drive. It's, you know, for then I, I got paid like 175 We drove to State College, which was three and a half hours. He goes, but I'm married. We'll come back. Just don't worry. And the same thing, the work, all of a sudden this guy, Andy Scarpati, called me and says, what's your calendar look like? And I, I had like 32 weeks open, you know? Right. And he's like, all right, here you go. And, he, and back then we actually wrote it down in the calendar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we filled it out. And then I was like, and then it made me grow because every weekend, and I was making 150 or 200 every weekend, and it was the best thing. It was like you're a comic, and you could actually say, I'm a comic. I'm a comic, yeah. yeah. So now now you start out in Chicago. Now, now when you started working, did you start growing very fast because you started getting paid earlier? I, I guess, I, well, you know what happened, and I'm, I'm kind of quoting myself when I say this. I was a really, I mean, I was, yeah, when I first started open mics, I was probably raw and, and, and green and not that great. And, and then I got to be a really good open micer. Um, because I would take chances and I would be funny and, 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 and other comics would come in to watch me as an open micer. And then the second I started getting paid, I was like, well, now it's a job. I got to take this very seriously. And I started basically just doing an impression of Richard Lewis and Paul Reiser and uh, and probably not a good one. And I became, I always like to say I became a, I, I, I worked very hard to be an average white guy talking. Okay. Like I really worked hard at it to really to say nothing. That's not to say uh, Reiser and Lewis were saying anything. Those are two of my heroes. Uh, but I was just kind of a 20, young 20 something year old guy. Not that much to say if I'm just talking about my observations or about my life. Um, but I started wearing a sport coat with the leaves rolled up and I had the skinny tie and I looked like an 80s. I looked like Seinfeld. More, more Seinfeld Reiser comparison than the Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis came later and I, I you know, ripped off his persona for you know a year after that. <laughs> I ripped his persona uh, off in the beginning too. How do you not? I, I was so great because he was so frazzled and I used to do one-liners and I'd be like, I'm telling you. And then it was very, uh, yeah, it was great. It was a, uh, I remember my mom and uh, stepdad came to see me once in Merrillville, Indiana and um, I left uh, and then I got, I went home. I was still living at home at the time and she's like, uh, a little too Richard lewis <laughs> And, you know, I of course probably got defensive and mad at her but she was right. You know, I was doing a, you know, it was still my material through the the, the Richard Lewis, you know, uh, f- you know, uh, filter. Um, but I did grow uh, as soon as I, I don't think I grew for a while because I kind of just plateaued as this average guy who was a good host. You know, pr- you know, channeling Johnny Carson, knowing how to host a, a stand-up show, and um, I got a lot of nice opportunities early in the Chicagoland area because of that. But I also didn't work any of the good clubs because I wasn't good yet. So I was working nonstop, but I was doing the one-nighters. I was doing the you know the 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 chicken wire circuit basically um and then around 90 uh, I, I know it was new year's eve week of 93 i was working in indianapolis at a club that did believe in me uh and it just clicked 
and it, and something happened where I just started then becoming me on stage. How did you do that? Because that's the one thing, you know, everyone, and now it's funny because we've been in this business for a long time, and I really don't perform much anymore. If I do, it might be a storytelling show. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed, like, now a lot of comics who have been around for a while are starting, like, a new metamorphosis. They're coming out and doing something different. Like, they're doing the storytelling. Or yeah. something like, like Kathy Ladman will talk about her anorexia, or they'll just change it. How did, what do you think made you sit there that night? What made you know on myself was there a certain sign i mean was it just because you're pretty much the same person it was a different material it was, was different you know what happened it was and this is the truth and i know i'm repeating stuff that's on the internet about me but uh everybody told me i was the funniest guy to hang out with everybody everybody whether it was paul riser you know when i worked when i eventually opened up for him and i think it was 91 uh from paul riser to nobody's you know uh they were all to paula poundstone they all would say to me uh, a guy named Gary Laser, who I don't know what he's doing this day, but uh, uh, if he's still in comedy, but he was one of the one, one of the guys I looked up to when I started. They would all say, "You are the funniest guy off stage. When you find this on stage, you're gonna you're gonna make it." And in my head, I was like, "Well, I'm already I'm already getting paid. I quit my day job, and I and I'm getting I'm working 52 weeks a year making money. What do you mean? Uh, uh, you know, as soon as I find myself, I'm already there. And then I don't I literally don't know, Stephen. Answer your question. What happened that week? Um, but somebody must have said it the right way. Like, just do what you're doing at lunch on stage. So it was uh, it was basically that I was in Indianapolis working the Indianapolis Comedy Connection for Chick and Patty Perrin, great people. Uh, Chris Alpine from Seattle was the headliner, and Gilda Hauser from Detroit was the MC. And I think New Year's Eve was like on a Thursday. So we did our first three nights, then we had New Year's Day off, and then we came back on Saturday. And on that Saturday, I just went, you know what? It's a new year. The act's gone. I'm just going to improvise my show. And I stutter-stepped for about a year and a half or two. But I basically just started brand new and just started doing what I would do around lunch on stage. And I would have great shows and I would bomb miserably. But I had to go through it. How do you sit there and you, I mean, the funny thing is when you say that about having great shows and bombing miserably, I knew for me always when I did comedy, you know, if I had a crappy second show on a three show like a saturday if there's three shows yeah you know you come out especially as if you're a feature it's it's the cake spot you should be able to kill yeah, but you usually kill it but every once in a while you have the bad show yeah and then you you sit there and you're you're 15 minutes into your oh. act and you're looking at your clock and you think you're you're at you're already done your 30 minutes material yeah and you sit there how would you rebound because you're going from a great show when you, you're being you and then all of a sudden they don't like you for a show, mm -hmm. and the difference is, it's not like you're doing, you know, dick jokes. It's you're doing, you're talking about you, you're being yourself. Right. How would you rebound from that? That's, I mean, well, that's a great question. I think, I think I probably had, I probably didn't, you know, I, I'll say that. I probably, uh, you know, uh, probably pouted, uh, you know, or licked my wounds in the green room after that, uh, after a bad one. And then I probably was like, well, here we go again, you know, and I knew I was, I knew I was doing, starting anew. So I, I, I guess maybe in the back of my head, I knew I was going to go through some growing pains. Um, and not every club wanted me back. Like I was, where, I went through a little phase there where uh, Mark Colo at Funny Business out of Michigan uh, really thought I was funny and really believed in me. And he, his, that Funny Business, they're not, they're not in Michigan anymore, but uh, they're still around. Uh, they kept me afloat from 94 to mid-95. Without them, I, I don't even know if I'd be in the business. Um they they kept sending me back out to these clubs and and I'm grateful for it. Um, but I know there were times where I would I would do it like a date in Ohio one time in maybe '93. Wileys? Uh, no, this was Jokers. Okay. And um, I went out and basically after the show, uh, just kind of sat in my car and cried, going, 
I'm done. You know, it was that bad of a bomb. Like, where they won. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we and you have those shows. You have a show where you bomb, but you still feel like, well, f them. They're, they were stupid. But then there's shows where you well, you got to be honest with yourself, and you walk away and you go, I sucked. And I I remember I sat in my car it, uh, out in front of a Best Buy, I believe it was, and just kind of just felt like I just was in a fight and just kind of I mean I didn't sob, but I kind of was like, what am I gonna do? You know, how do I rebound from that? And then I just, you know, showed up the next day as if, you know, it's a brand new day. And hopefully, I, I assume I had a good show. Now, when you started out in the business, I mean, because I know now you've, you've hosted a show. You've, you've worked with Conan. You know, yeah. You've done a lot of different ways. When you started out, did you think that the comedy, where did you think comedy would take you? Did you, or were you just like, because I know when we started out in Philly, we just wanted to be comics. Mm. And that's it. Like, I want to be a comic. I Well, if someone gave us a sitcom, it would be cool. But if I'm on the comic working, you know, Every weekends and back then it's like when you're single, getting free booze, meeting cute girls. Yep. You go, you know what? I'll tell you. And you know, you know, when you're 25, you know, you don't think, oh yeah, this is gonna change. But that's you. You thought that was the goal to go. When you started out, what would did you think you'd end up being hosting something, being on Conan, being on TV, being a recognizable face? Did you ever I, think of that when you started out? I don't. I mean, maybe delusionally I did. You know, just thinking. Um uh, but you know, I grew up idolizing Johnny Carson, so I always thought I would, I would, ho- I always wanted to host some sort of a TV show, uh, talk show. Um, but I don't know. I know I just I wanted to be a comic. I wanted to be a stand. When I when I went to those open mics, there were a lot of guys that were like, "Well, this is a stepping stone to get a writing gig. This is a stepping stone to get a sitcom." And again, just like you, if that, if that offer comes, I'm not going to turn it down. I know guys that did. God bless them for it. They're I don't even know if they're in comedy anymore, but. Um, I wanted to be a I wanted to be a comedian. I loved the idea of, of you know grow when I was growing up watching Johnny Carson and seeing the comedians and then you know the HBO Young Comedian specials which were there were a couple before I started I think, um, but I wanted to be that you know and so that that was it. It's funny you mentioned the HBO comedian specials because just the other night I was talking to somebody and we brought up you might we probably remember you remember a guy named Jeff Bolt. He had a puppet. Yes, I just I, I whatever happened. Was he a redheaded guy, kind of maybe? Yeah, and I yeah. Just remember he was on an HBO Young Comedian special, and I it's just so funny. Someone mentioned that, and I was like, oh my god, it's crazy because those were the big thing. The HBO Young oh. Comedian specials were like, oh my god, if you got one of those, it was the equivalent of Johnny calling you over to the couch. I mean, it was you're on the HBO Young Comedian special, and I remember. I mean, I knew. I remember when I saw Kinnison on his first one, Dice Clay on his first one, Haywood Banks, um, Paul Dillery. I want to say was the guy's name. But there were like these comics that stood up for me, uh, stood out for me, not stood up. I'm not in a fight. Um, <laughs> but I remember watching these guys and uh, and then, you know, as I was doing comedy by the time I saw, you know, the one that uh, Dennis, uh, David Spade hosted, right? No, no, Dennis Miller hosted it. it was Spade, and it was uh, Schneider. Spade, Schneider, Kindler, Garofalo, and yeah. Drake Sather, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I believe so. And maybe there was one more. And it was, I remember it was a shot in Arizona. And I just remember I was kind of in the business, sort of maybe. And watching that one and going, uh, well, these are these guys are great. They're all doing. Oh, Judd Apatow is the other one. Okay, that's right. So now, now you're working as a comic. How long did you start headlining? How long did it take? Too you? soon. Now, why, why do you say that? I was um, because I did get really comfortable on stage. I ended up getting comfortable, like in '92. Uh, even though I still wasn't uh, the the funniest guy in the world. No, I wasn't '92. It ended up being '93. Even when I was going through those growing pains, I was headlining C rooms. You know, which is, you know, basically, a, you know, a, a club in a, a hotel, maybe. Not a good one. Mad Hatter in Painesville. I don't know if you ever played oh Where you stayed in the house behind the uh, behind the club. My friend, Tony no Boswell. Door, no door in the lock. No, uh, uh, I mean, no lock, no lock in the door. door. 
my buddy Tony Boswell, uh, who I started with, Tony and I uh, became great friends, and, and and we were each other's security blanket when we started doing open mics. Because we, you know, that's tough. You know that. Oh yeah. When you go to an open mic and you don't know anybody, and they, every little generation of open mic has their their little graduating class, and so to show up and you're the new guy, and God forbid, and I luckily I I was confident and funny. Uh, if you're the new guy and you're good, well, they hate you. They don't, you know, unless unless they have some confidence and they're welcome, to, they're willing to bring you in. But this guy Tony Boswell and I were each other. You know, we had other uh, other guys that I've since, you know, I'm still friends to this day. Pete Schwaba, Mike Siegel, Jimmy Dore, Paul Gilmartin, um, really Marge Takis, really great, funny people. Um, Pat Francis, who was my roommate for years. Uh, we also we all supported each other, and. Um, but Tony wrote the greatest thing about the, the Mad Hatter. Uh, he wrote, uh, great crowds, uh, great shows, and a place to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and Because you stayed in this creepy, like, you no lock on the door. You had to go downstairs to maybe what, it was, take a bath. It, was it wasn't the, even a what, shower. They didn't have a shower. They had a bath. Yeah. I remember because I co-headlined that with a guy named Herb Strom. Mm. I think he was an impressionist. And I'm going up, and on my first show, you know, the mic goes, cuts out of me. But then I got to follow him, and he's sitting there, and he's actually putting a fake spot on his head to do a Gorbachev oh, impression. So I was saying, I go, wait a second. Not only is he doing a Gorbachev impression, right. he's using props right, for right, it. Right. And I just remember, I think it was Sharon Rierick who booked it. I remember, I remember Sharon very well. Because she booked the Funny Farm in Youngstown, which was a great room. Mm-hmm. But it was just, I remember that gig. It was like one of those road gigs. You're right. It was like you sat there and you were afraid going to sleep. Like you sat there like, you know, they probably figured why they people had crappy shows on Saturday night because you didn't sleep because you were afraid someone's going to come in. You couldn't. I, I literally, I think I was sick for a week after I did that gig uh, because of the amount of dust in the place. Like I just got my lungs filled with dust. Um <laughs> Uh, to which, for years, I blamed that I that I was allergic to feather pillows. It turns out uh, some allergists told me, "No, you're allergic to dust that collect in the feather pillows if they don't clean them." And I'm guessing they never did. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and just no sleep. And I, you know, this because uh, you stay there too. You have no. You're staying there because you have no money, and you're any money you're making from the gig you're using for gas to eat and maybe throw towards rent or any sort of bills. So the idea of even saying, "Well, I'm not even going to stay here. I'm going to go get my own hotel." Wasn't even an option, right? Because it was like, yeah, I think it was like even the clothes. It was like currently it was like one fifty a show, and you're nothing. going and you, you go into a place that's packed, and they're right? drinking, and you're going, wait a second, you know, at least there's and, and it's Painesville, Ohio, so I'm sure a hotel room costs fifty bucks, but it still seemed like out yeah. of my price range, exactly. But yeah, it's true. So now, you know, you started headlining too early, but now, now, when did you sit there and start to think about moving to L.A.? And when were you sitting there in your comedy life saying, I want to do stand up? But I want to branch out. I was uh, it was ninety four, uh, and I was uh, I had found cl- it clicked a little bit on what I was doing. I still had rough shows, but uh, it was ninety four, and I was living with a girl named Jennifer at the time. And our plan was to move to L A. in ninth, and when our release was up in ninety six, and um, we would move to L A. together as a couple. And um, I then did a showcase at Chaplin's in Detroit for a guy named Eric Fagan, who used to book the uh, the Improv here in L A. And he was out on a talent search working for CBS to go out and scour the country for new talent. And I was one of the uh, I was one of the guys that he saw in Detroit. And I just I had a show, man. It was one of those where I improvised the entire show mainly because I couldn't follow the guy in front of me. The guy in front of me destroyed, <laughs> and I had to. And I and my opening line bombed miserably. And I remember saying, "Hey, I don't care if you people like me or not. I'm still going to be a, a opening up for the Human Jukebox and Ypsilanti tomorrow." And explosion of laughter 
And from there, I just improvised the rest of the seven-minute showcase. Afterwards, he came up to me. He's like, you're phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to be doing another one of these in Chicago next week. I want you to be on it, but I want to see more material. So I did it. It was at the Funny Firm in Chicago. This was, again, in, in 94. And he saw that, and he said, I can't believe it. He goes, man, you're quick off your feet. you got great material. Uh, he goes, I want to manage you, you know, but you got to move to L.A. And so I, uh, I, my, my girlfriend and I broke up, not because of this. We just, you know, life goes on. Uh, and instead of moving in 96, I was like, you know what? No better time than now. So I moved in 95 because this guy, Eric Fagan, wanted to manage me. Where'd you live? I always wonder because the first time people, like, people moved to L.A. Well, take but, your guess. What do you think? Well, you probably lived in a studio apartment in Hollywood. Well, I, I went the other way. I, I, my roommate, Pat Francis. Okay. Uh, he and I, we got a uh, right in North Hollywood, where okay. everybody else seems to like. That's the other option. You move to North Hollywood or Valley Village. And you, you were in, in North Hollywood when it was when it was North Hollywood, it, not like it is now. It like, was. In fact, I didn't know. I, I, to me, I'd moved. I, I'm living in L.A., baby. You know what I mean? It's sunny all the time. It's beautiful outside. I'm going by the pool every day. Um, and people would always go, "How do you live there? How do you live in the bar?" I was like, I don't know, "It's beautiful." But then I move out of there, and I would go back and go, "Why the hell did I live here? This is." <laughs> This is rough, man. Uh, but yeah, I moved to the valley, and uh, you know, would you know, would hit the, uh, you know, go to the improv, and you know, do spots there, and Igby's when that was around, uh, the Ice House, and uh, uh, but I, I made the mistake, Steve. I didn't do any open mics when I moved here. Um, I uh, it's one it's one of the times where my ego got the best of me, and I felt like I was a headliner. I'm a road headliner, and uh, I'm not starting over. I'm not doing open mics. You know, I paid those dues. In a retrospect, I should have done those mainly just to meet people and have fun and have the camaraderie. Instead, I, you know, I, I, you know, was sat in my apartment in North Hollywood drinking and getting depressed. So, and that's funny because back then there was also the, it was different because there wasn't as many comics. So, I mean, even like coming out here, like I know in Philadelphia, I, I think we had twenty-five or thirty comics. Like that was it. You know, it was like, and then yeah, the regulars would pop in, but that was there wasn't a lot of open micers. And they had right. twenty-five spots, and everyone got on. And back then, I'm sure for the open mics, you know, it was different because. There wasn't probably now. There's like, I oh, mean, it's gonna be fifty. I think if you show up, right or something. Oh God, it's insane. Like I, I always sit there and say, now it's like I always see on Facebook people are promoting a show. Yeah. Hey, come out. And I sit there. I go, well, it's weird. This is a book show. But when I did comedy, if there's fifteen people in the show and no one got paid, it was an open. It was an open mic. Yeah. So it's just yeah. funny how it changed. And we, uh, and I started doing some of those. Some of those booked. You know, Chris Mancini, as a matter of fact, when he had the gig at the Borders on. I did La that Cienega. once on the bookstore. Um, so, you know, I would do that sort of thing, but like, you know, my buddy Jimmy Dore would go and, and, uh, and, uh, and other guys would go to, um, you know, Pedersons and some other established good open mics, uh, that I just didn't. And, 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 you know, I mean, I, obviously it's, it's been okay that I didn't do that, but I wish I would have. It's the, it's the one, re- uh, one of many regrets that I have. Now, when did you start getting your first chance to be on TV? Oh boy. That was, well, it didn't make me laugh. Uh, you know, when Comedy Central oh, that had show that. Oh, great. Bruce Baum was on a few weeks ago. Oh, well, he was on the original Make Me yeah. Laugh. I was on the one oh. with uh, uh, Ken Ober and Mark Cohen hosted Okay. It. Uh, what was that? Late 90s, maybe? Uh, but my, my first thing was I went, to, I went to Montreal for the Montreal Comedy Festival, Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, in 98. And a guy named Bob Bowden, who was huge in the game show world, but at the time, he was a big shot at FX, and FX was like nothing at the time. And... Um, Penn and Teller had a show called Penn and Teller's Sin City Spectacular. And I went to Montreal and had a great showcase. I had two great shows. 
And uh, the next day, my manager called me and my agent called me up and said, hey, they want to put you on this. They want to fly you to Vegas and put you on this new FX show with Penn and Teller. And uh, the woman that went before me was uh, Monique, uh, who has since won an Oscar. Right. Uh, she went up and blew. It was it was taped at the uh, Bally's. And she blew the roof off the place, man. She destroyed. And they were shooting everything out of order. Like, so she was going to be on one show and I was going to be on the next show. And so they both, they, and then they took a break and then they you know, shot some magic, that sort of thing. So I just had the really unfortunate spot of following Monique at the peak of her powers, just blowing the roof off the place. And I went up and I, re- I remember saying something about how, how happy I am to be, uh, they're, they're treating us very well. I'm staying in the Shields and Yarnell suite. And one guy laughed. It was Penn from the side of the, Penn Gillette from the side of the stage was laughing. And from there... I struggled, man, and it's my first time on TV, and I struggled, and a guy named uh, Marty uh, Olson was the uh, executive producer of that show, and he saved it in, in editing. He, you know, got rid of the jokes that was obvious on my face where I chewed it, and so I had to learn a little bit how to do TV, and I was grateful to, uh, that I had that opportunity, but and I'm also grateful nobody ever saw it or can ever see it again, uh, but then 99, I ended up doing uh, Craig Kilborn's show. When he had, uh, when he took over, when Letterman went to CBS and uh, Kilborn uh, had the spot after him, uh, I did him maybe three times. I did Kilborn, um, and then I did the Tonight Show in two thousand two. What was that like? I mean, I know it was, you know, it, it's it's a Tonight Show, and you know, it was after Carson. It's the Leno, but yeah. bottom line is still a Tonight Show. Well, I mean, you're, you know, it's it's it's, it's the tonight. brass ring. I right. mean, it's or whatever that phrase is. You know, you're getting the golden ticket. You're getting here. You're. It's one of those things I always say about the Tonight Show that especially back then, uh, that if you're on a, it shuts everybody up. It shuts the stranger up. It shuts your family up that, uh, Hey Jimmy, how's the comedy going? Oh, it's okay. Oh, have you done Johnny Carson? Have you done it tonight show yet? No, no, good. Keep going. It's like, but I've done a zillion. I, you know, I apologize. I got to go back into Caroline's comedy hour in 92, uh, which was before the, the Penn and Teller thing. But, um, it's like, but you saw me on TV. You know, it's like, oh, good, keep going. Or if you're on a plane and I and I made the mistake of saying, you know, if they say, what do you do for a living? I'm a comedian. Oh, have you, have you done Jay Leno? No. Oh, keep going. The second I did The Tonight Show, which, by the way, did not go well. I did not have a good Tonight Show. Why? I mean, were you nervous? No, just... I was not nervous at all. It was, um, the, the weird thing is I never saw myself as a fight. I never thought I'd be on The Tonight Show. I never saw myself as that kind of an act. I never, uh, maybe early on I did, but by the time 2002 came, I had resigned myself that I'm I'm not a five minute comic. I'm a guy that you got to know me. You got to get to be, live with me for a couple of minutes on stage to understand my persona. And um, but then Bob Reed and Ross Mark were nice enough. They saw a set. And they said, you know what? That's a great five minutes. Let's let's put you on the Tonight Show. And just like getting that sitcom when you're an open mic, I'm not gonna say no. So I went out and it was, from what I understand, the worst audience in the history of the Tonight Show. Like they were horrible. Uh, they didn't like the opening act very much, who was this mad scientist that made, you know, did experiments with just common household items. And then Marissa Tomei was on uh, promoting a drama, so she was very dry. Uh, the monologue didn't go over well. Uh, Jay wasn't thrilled with the uh, with the audience and, and was speaking about it during the commercial breaks, which I understand is very rare for him. And... Um, they came up to me. This is true. They came up to me and they said, uh, here's the deal. Uh, and I, oh, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, well, Jesus, this audience is horrible. Maybe they'll bump me. And 
uh, it was going to be, it was the last show, I think, before the Olympics of 2002. Uh, the NBC was covering the Olympics. I think this was the last one. So part of me wanted to get bumped because the audience was horrible, and the other part of me didn't want to get bumped because I it wouldn't be on for like a month because of the Olympics. And I, lo- oh, by the way, I was a last minute replacement. Like I got a call on Monday saying, you want to do the Tonight Show Friday. And I loved that I didn't have any time to get nervous to answer your question. I did, it was like, I don't have to worry about this. Here we go. I'm just going to do it this week. I don't have to panic and over overrun it around town. I don't have to stress about it. So I know that's a long story, dude. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, so, it's interesting because it's, um, it's just it's so funny because you sit there and you talk about the audience. And Rich Scheidner tells a story about how when he did uh, the Merv Griffin show after it was a uh, – Diane Cannon was on who she played – a Holocaust survivor, and there's all these old Jewish people oh. in the audience. And then Scheider, who looks so German, yeah, yeah, yeah. comes up and tries to make him laugh. But and, the same thing. And he chews it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so sure enough, they, you know, so they, they come up to me in my dressing room, and they uh, they go, all right, here's the deal. There's uh, you know there's four minutes and 45 seconds left in the show, and your set's timing out at four and a half minutes. Uh, you know, if it's going great and you're going over time, you're going to see us. We got we got to cut you. So whatever joke you're on, just bail. And I'm like, well, why, don't, why don't we just bump me? Like, I offer, well, bump me then. And they're like, no, no, Jay wants you on. Jay needs you. We want the comedy. Jay wants you on. So I go out, and literally my first two minutes are silent. I mean, it's it's it, you hear my wife and my two buddies laughing. I mean, it's <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Oh, and Kevin Eubanks. And, oh, the other note I was given was, hey, Jimmy, you're always in the moment, but this is the Tonight Show, and Jay doesn't really like guys going off script. So really stay to your material. Don't Don't comment on anything. So I kind of thought, too, they would sweeten it and post. I didn't know it would go out right. where I'm. it's silent for two <laughs> minutes. And I, so I never commented on it. So I look confident. I look like I look like I'm killing. So I must look like I'm a delusional idiot thinking that I'm killing, but I'm not. So I just keep I go, I'm going. And, and then maybe the two-minute mark, they bought into what I was doing. And then the last two, maybe 90 seconds to two minutes did okay. And then I came over to the couch, and Marissa Tomei didn't move over. Like it was like, really? That's the that's the cherry on this Sunday. You don't, you've never done it. She's done a zillion talk shows. Move down, Marissa. So, uh, and Jay was like, "Hey, great job, Jimmy. That was great. That was just fantastic." And I wish to this day I would have said, "Really? What set did you see?" Because it was atrocious. I mean, it was just awful. And but pre-internet, nobody saw it, and the people that did see it were like, "Hey, rough time," and then we would laugh about it. But it's not out there. I'm glad it's not out there. Nobody uh, nobody ever goes, hey, man, you sucked in 2002 on The Tonight Show. Um, I'm still able to say I was on The Tonight Show, you know, and then eventually I was on The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, you know, I was so, and I worked for Conan for years on his new show, but, um, you know, like I said, it shut everybody up, where it was like, have you done The Tonight Show? Yes, I have. Oh, oh, good for you, and they don't know I bombed. They right. just know I did it. <laughs> So, and you're right, it's so good as pre, because you can't find that stuff, because, you know, it's it's relegated to a uh, VHS tape. Thank, thank God. And they can't find it, and that's so, because, you know, I, I found one of these, my old, I, was, I found one of my old stand-up, like VHS, I don't even know why I still have it, or I think my mom sent it to me, because mm-hmm. she like, sent a book, like, she had this scrapbook of, like, shows I used to do, and it's funny, because I have a picture of me headlining at Mad Hatter's, it's my picture, where I, I like, it was, people say it's a mullet, I say it was feathered. But we're not going to talk well, about. Well, how that. long was it in the back? Was well, it, it was to here. But we all kind of. I mean, well, had I had up front, but and I, I pushed it. It was like a Duran Duran. I call it the Duran Duran haircut. But right. I, I sat there. And I, she sent me a tape, and I'm thinking, well, I don't have a V. I don't know anyone knows a VHS. Right. And then you sit there and go, well, thank God, because and and you're right. People aren't transferring VHS. 
Uh, so you can't find it. I sure hope not. I hope there's I hope there's no proof of this anywhere in the world. <laughs> and uh, because it was, and it, and it, and I'm it it it's I'm not even the same persona really anymore. I mean that's 14 years ago. Uh, so it, I think it would turn my stomach to even see. Like I did my uh, I was very lucky in that the very next week I did my half hour for Comedy Central, um, where I had a great it destroyed. I think everybody does. I think it's hard to have a tough set. That audience is really amped up, but. Uh, that was on Tuesday. So I did tonight's show on, or it was on Wednesday of the next week. I did tonight's show on Friday, went down to the Bahamas with the Bob and Tom radio show, uh, and then flew to New York to do my half hour special for Comedy Central, like five days after bombing on the tonight show and had a great set. So it was, th- thank God that I was then able to bring it back with that. Uh, but the whole reason I bring that up is like, that's even rough for me to watch now. Like, Oh, I don't like the way I was delivering stuff i don't like the way i was talking i don't like the the timber of my voice even uh so yeah if that tonight show can stay hidden i'd, I'd be a happy man it'll stay hidden you know, i hope so steve we're gonna, we're gonna google it you know, when someone knows someone on the tonight show hey can you can you get me the uh the the part the part tape? tape the part tape oh. please send me the part tape i i need some uh green for my shoes i gotta get new shoes i'm gonna, I'm gonna blackmail the pardo oh, with the, Jesus. the pardo tape so now you're doing stand-up and yeah you're, you're, you're doing the show so now you're going out you're still headlining mm-hmm. and now are you trying to get acting parts out here or oh, I've, I, you- yeah I, I, I would audition i auditioned a lot for commercials when i first, uh, first moved out here like everybody does and i got uh, one great campaign for a mall up in portland oregon uh, lloyd center which i did for like five or six years i was the spokesman for that mall did all their spots radio commercial uh radio television uh and then i did a rally's hamburger commercial and that was it. And uh, I was—I found myself, I was auditioning about five times a day for commercials, and I got two in five years. And it's like, I hate doing this. I hate every, I feel like I'm just selling my soul. Now, guys that make a great living in commercials, you know, my buddy Chip Chinnery, you know, know Chip. bought nine houses because of commercials. I know, I know. Like one, I think he did like 16 nationals oh. in one year. It was like, well, because he said it was like, like 150 auditions, never got anything. And then, and boom, boom. Boom, and boom, then the boom. second he got one, which was a uh, was Magic Mountain, uh, was I believe was his first one where he was uh, did the commercials for uh, not Magic, uh, Spl- uh, Six Flags, Six Flags, but the water park, whatever that's called. Uh, up there. Yeah, uh, rap, Raging Rapids, or maybe Rover Rap. I don't even know. I know uh, you're talking but about. But that was though. his first one, and then it was like all of a sudden the dominoes fell, and he was doing a commercial every three days. I never had that with commercials. Uh, my buddy Regan Burns the same way. My friend Rachel Harris, who has since moved on to TV and features, but. They would always score this, and I would always say, "This is the biggest waste of my time." I, I don't even, I don't like doing these. And they're like, "What are you talking about? You know, I'm, I'm making a, a killing here." And I'm like, "But I'm not." So I ended up stopping auditioning for commercials, and it really just made my life a heck of a lot happier. And then I would audition for sitcom, and I would get one every couple of years. I would, you know, I was on uh, that '70s show, and I did Becker, and I did an episode of Monk. And uh, I did some pilots that never, you know, uh, for the for uh, a UPN and one for the WB. Um, so I, I would get some acting roles every now and then, but I, but not enough to say that this is what I want to do because I hated it. Now that said, I loved auditioning for uh, hosting jobs, a uh, game show, talk show, a clip, whatever it was. Like if they called me right now and said, uh, "Hey, you got to rush to Santa Monica to audition for a you know for a game show and you got to be ready by four o'clock." Boom. I'll race over there and, and love it and happily do it. But if they called me right now and said, you got to rush across town to do an acting job, i go, nope, I can't make it. Like, it'd be that, you know, cut and dry. But no, were you still hitting the road back then? I mean, were to, to subsidize your income? Because, I mean, once again, yeah. the, the road is, and I know the money's gone down a lot, I've heard, and it's different. But I always say, now, though, they have the advent, the, the 
invention of merch. Yeah. When we did stand up, no one had merch. Nobody. And I think most comics make more money selling merch than they do for the actual show. Uh, I'm not one of those guys. I stand by my stuff and pray to God somebody makes eye contact with me. Um, uh, but in those days, in the let's see, late 90s, early 2000s, I guess I, I'm trying to think of it. Maybe I was going out two weeks out of the month. But, I, you know, and I was still doing, you know, Tuesday through Sundays or whatever, you know, whatever the club would be. Whereas now I'm lucky if I, you know, I'm just doing Friday, Saturdays and coming in as a special event, quote unquote. Um, I might do some Wednesday through Saturdays, but that's very rare. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky now. But back then was to just speak to what you said. That was my bread and butter. And then, but I'm spending a lot of that money on airfare and uh, car rental and food, you know, and uh so, you know, I, I would imagine I went out for two weeks and one of the weeks would pay for the expensive. Then I would bring home the money from the second week. Uh, so that's how I'd made rent. And, you know, luckily, my you know, my wife was also working. She's a writer here in town and, you know, does works pretty consistently. And, uh, you know, combining our two incomes, we did OK. So you're doing stand up and you're doing it and you're on the road and you're doing auditions. How did you drop into the Conan job? Man, that was the greatest. Uh, it was a June 1st of 2009 was my first day so it must have been june or may it was it was may 30th or 31st i got a phone call saying i, mean, I was at a movie at the arc Light movie theater and uh when i when the movie was over i saw that i had a message from my agent he said hey they want to meet you over at the tonight show with conan o'brien about doing the warm-up and i was like well i don't want to be a warm-up that's not what i want to do it's like but uh you know what it's the tonight show for christ's sake and it's and it's conan o'brien like i grew up loving Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I, I think Conan O'Brien, uh, you know, other than Letterman at the time, it certainly was the most original voice in late night. I mean, Conan, what he was doing on late night with Conan O'Brien was just different than anything we'd ever seen. Now, you know, it was more show of shows and and uh, than it was talk show to me. So it was like, well, I'd be a fool not to at least take this meeting. So the next day I went in. Uh, I described that I can that I went in with confidence. Uh, Mike Sweeney, who was the head writer at Conan for a long, long time, uh, said that I came in with a chip on my shoulder and an attitude uh, and mad at everybody. <laughs> and uh, I showed up and they explained the gig to me and they said, you know, they said, do you want to do this? And I met Steve Hollander, the stage manager. I met Jeff Ross, the executive producer, and Mike Sweeney and my friend Brian Kiley. You probably knew Brian from yeah, the East Brian's Coast. Yeah, on the show. No, I, I just know him from Oh, you know him from here. Uh, I knew Brian. We worked together. We worked uh, opposing clubs in uh, Indianapolis and hung out all week and got along very well. And uh, I knew Brian McCann from Chicago. Uh, we had started, uh, he was part of that group I started with. And he was writing on that show. And they asked me if I wanted to be the warm-up. And I, I, I said, you know what, guys? The truth is I don't. I, I appreciate the meeting, but I'm, I'm going to pass. I don't want to be a warm-up. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't have it in me to point out the exits and throw candy out and T-shirts. And they're like, uh, and they're like uh, all right, hang on. And so Jeff Ross picks up the phone and goes, yeah, it, it looks like it's no-go. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, what does that mean? And uh, all of a sudden, Conan walked in, who I'd never met in my life, and Conan uh, came in and said, uh, what's what's the problem? And and all of a sudden, we cl he and I clicked. And he was making me laugh, I was making him laugh, and I said, look, I don't want to throw out candy, I don't want to throw out t-shirts, I don't want to have a dance contest, I don't want to do anything that comes with me in a warm-up. It's not, I, I wouldn't feel good about it, and I wouldn't do a good job for you. And... Knowing full well, by the way, I, I've got a I, I got a year and a half year old son. Uh, we just bought a house. Like everything is, it's bananas that I'm saying no to this. And he uh, he goes, well, you don't have to do any of that. He goes, you do eight minutes up front and then you're done. I go, well, let's at least give it a try then. Right. I mean, I, I go, if I don't even have to do commercial breaks, I don't have to do any of the nonsense. 
I just get to be funny. Well, let's do it. And um, I went and did a, it was rough going at, at, the, at first because I wasn't good at it. I wasn't, I was basically doing it again. And almost like when I was an open micer, I was doing an impression of a, of a warm-up guy. I would walk through the audience and I would, uh, I, I, I just didn't know what I was doing. And then one day, I don't know why it clicked in my head. It was like, just stand where Conan stands and do it from there. Don't move around. Pretend you're the act like you're the opening act. And it was night and day. All of a sudden, the audiences were responding to me. They were loving everything I was doing. Um, and I was I, I went from, hey, I'm not so sure I want this gig to, oh, my God, I hope they don't fire me. You know, I hope I can, you know, get to stick around because this is the greatest gig in the world. I'm around the funniest people on the planet every single day. I'm on the stage of the Tonight Show every single day. Um and I, and I thank Andy Richter for it because it, 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 as I came to find out, uh, find out, when they moved from New York to L.A., they said uh, they were using Brian McCann, who was a writer on the show, as I mentioned, and he would write all day and then run down and do the eight minutes to open up the show. So they said, we're moving to L.A. Let's get a guy where his, his job is only to do the warm-up. Our writers will focus on that, and we hire this guy to focus on getting the crowd ready. Richter said, well, the only guy I can think of that could do 10 minutes to an hour off the top of his head with the same sensibilities as us is Jimmy Pardo. Apparently, they looked at a couple of clips online and went, that's our guy, get him. And then I'm lucky that Andy, and I wasn't great friends with Andy. I'm just, I've become great friends with him, but at the time, it was a guy that I just knew from comedy. And uh, But it was because of him that all that happened. Now, when did it start where you started coming on the show? Because then you started making a lot of appearances. I yeah. remember I would see you with Andy Richter, and you'd always have the sour face, and like you, you would never smile. I was the uh, well, I would laugh at that was when I was Andy's sidekick. At, yeah, yeah, okay. I would laugh at Andy and not laugh at Conan. <laughs> uh, it's funny. My 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 personal appearance agent TJ said to me, Jim, this is the greatest gig that you, that you're working with Conan because they get you, and it's only a matter of time before they realize that you're more than just a warm-up and they start using you. And I'm like, hey, I don't care if they ever do. I love that I have this job. And one day I got a phone call saying, hey, uh, Matt O'Brien just wrote this thing called Andy's Sidekick, and we want to have you uh, you come in and, and you play Andy's Sidekick. So I went in, and it killed. I mean, it destroyed. And that was on a that was on a Monday. This was on TBS now, the TBS Conan. That was on a Monday, and we then... The response was so great, they brought it back. We did it again Wednesday and Thursday. I'm sorry, Thursday. And, uh, yeah, Wednesday and Thursday. Um, and then I think we brought it back even the following Monday and then uh, basically put it, to, put it to bed. That was the last one. But the response was so great on it, they were like, well, let's start using this guy some more. And so it went from that to I started doing some remotes. Uh, I then went on as a guest. And Conan and I had that same chemistry that, like, you know, uh, Rickles and Johnny had back on the old Tonight Show where we're busting each other's balls. Uh, yet still hitting the beats that need to be done for an interview. Uh, but it was like, you could see it was a different energy uh, between the two of us. And Bill Burr's got it when Bill Burr goes on there, and uh, Norm has it. And there's certain guys, and I'm not certainly not comparing myself to those great talents, but there's a there's a comfort level because I'm sitting between my friend Andy and now my friend Conan, and we're having a good time. Then I got very lucky that uh, Andy Richter was shooting a pilot uh, for Fox, uh, a game show that didn't end up going, but... I got a phone call one day. I was coming back from the from the gym, and it was Mike Sweeney saying, uh, "Hey, we just had a meeting, and uh, Andy needs to miss a couple of shows next week, and Conan wants you to co-host. What do you think?" Like, what do I think? I've been waiting for this phone call my whole life. Are you kidding me? So, like, there I was. I went from this buffoon that didn't even want the gig to 
I get the phone call to, to fill in for Andy Richter and be the co-host for a couple of shows. And it was just, you know, phenomenal. It was great fun. How do you sit there when you go do that position? Because, you yeah. know, that's one thing. You don't – a co-host can't outshine a person. Right. Now, when you did the Andy sidekick, you were the comic relief. That was, that was you. Yeah. It was like, we're going to laugh at him because he laughs at Andy. That's what we're laughing. When you're sitting there and you're do- you've done warm-up and you're a stand-up, I mean, it must be a weird – situation because you want to do well yes you respect conan you don't and you want the show to go well you don't want to over perform but you don't want to sit there and be a slug you don't want to boy did you nail that it was one of those things like what a fine line i had to walk of you don't want to try too hard you don't want to look like i'm first of all i wasn't after i'm not after andy's job I'm, i'm thrilled that i was asked to fill in for him uh but it's not like i was sitting in the weeds going you one day that'll be mine victor it wasn't that so, but, it, but that's what it was. It was like, so you don't want to try too hard and look like you're trying to take this job from Andy. Like I got something to prove. You also don't want to be a slug where it's like, well, why do we even bother asking this guy? So you, I like, I had to pick my spots to be funny and, uh, and then support when need be stay quiet when need be. So like when he had a guest on, I forget who it was. It was a, I think it was an author or somebody who was a well-educated man and Conan had read the book or whatever it was. I had nothing to add, and I'm not going to throw in a joke just to throw in a joke. So during that interview, I just sat quietly and let Conan do his job. Um, whereas, you know, when Howie Mandel came on, Howie included me in the conversation, and Ben Schwartz included me in the uh, Noah Wiley. Like, that was a different energy. Uh, but it was exactly that. Like, okay, good. I didn't do too much, and I did just enough to justify them choosing me to do that. So that's exactly right. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, it is. It's like anything. You know, you don't want to be... And I always compare it to that guy, you know, like the new guy at the job who goes up and says, hey, my old place. Uh, right. You're not at your old place. Or, hey, <laughs> sir. It's like, hey, or they, they start talking. And I always think, yeah, well, I don't need friends. You know, I, I work with you. And, I, and, I, and I'm very, I'm that's just me. I'm like, you know, if I get along with someone, I'll hang out with them. But right. if I go and stuff, I'm not like, like when I'm like, hey, hey, guys, hey. I'm like, I'm not going to be funny if you don't know me. And Ever, so, right? Yeah. And people used to always think when I'd wait tables and stuff, they'd be like, I remember I was having a beer with this girl, and she's like, God. She goes, everyone, you know, you ne- I thought you didn't like me. I go, why? She goes, well, because you never really talked to me, but everyone said, that's Steve Cooper. He's a pretty funny guy. And I said, because I didn't know you, and I'm not going to be that guy who goes, hey, because right. then you're like, oh, my God. The worst, right? You hate them. I hate them. And it's awful. I love that you said that. I, I went on a date once with a girl, and and, and admittedly to this day, uh, uh, she was still, I was young. And she was still in, she was in college and it was a, a field trip for college, which makes no sense to me, but it was, maybe she wasn't in college, maybe it was high school and I had no idea what I was dating, but, uh, uh, we went, I, I went with her and it was, it was other spouses. It was, you know, you were allowed to bring your spouse on this trip. Uh, and I was that guy, man. I was that guy trying to make everybody laugh, trying to, uh, the guy giving the tour, trying to be funnier than him. And I, but I, but I didn't know. That everybody wanted me to shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I was like, hey, I'm being hysterical here. And and then we, we leave and she goes, you embarrassed me. I'm like, I did? She's like, you didn't shut up. You like, you made a, like, and then as I played it back in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I would have hated me too. <laughs> but that was, a, that, 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 that one date. And that's a girl's name I'll never recall for a million dollars. But that was an eye opener, man. It was like, oh, wow. You don't want to be that guy. You yeah. want to be funny, but you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You want to be if if someone knows you, you can make them laugh. But you don't want you don't need to laugh. Like I always sit there. I go to a party. I meet someone that it's pretty cool, and then we start talking, and I'll yes. make them laugh. And then I'll sit there and go, "Hey, I'm here." Hey. Oh, the you worst, know how right? It is. It's the worst. Now, now after Conan, yes. you know, you're Conan. Now then, you did you got you hosted a, a game show. 
Last no. summer, I did a race to escape. Now, how did that come about? Oh, that was great. That was another one. It it so rarely happens that this happens. Is uh, I got a phone call one day that says the uh, the producer of this new show on Science Channel wants to meet you about hosting the show, and I was like, yeah, great. Let's you know, let's go meet him. And I was at uh, was at lunch with him out in Marina del Rey, and he was explaining the show to me. And I actually had another option for a show that I won't discuss, but uh, like. Once in my life, it was like I I had almost I had to decide between these two paths of do I take this show, which is a guaranteed two year contract with a heck of a lot of money, or this Science Channel show. And as he's telling me the Science Channel show, which was at the time, and, and we've only aired six episodes, um, it was only six episodes, and which is not the same as a two year right you know, paycheck. But he's telling he's explaining race to escape to me, and I, I was not familiar with escape rooms. Uh, but he was telling me about it, and I was like, hey, that's something I can watch with my son. And as cliched as that sounds, everybody always says I want to do a movie that my family can see or my kids can watch. I felt like I could be very proud of hosting this race to escape. And, and so I'm listening to it, I'm listening to it, and, and he goes, uh, so what do you think? Do you want the gig? And it's another time where you don't want to go, wait a minute, you're offering it to me? I don't have to audition for this? You're just giving it to me? At this, and so you don't want to say that, but you also don't want to look like too cool, like, well, let me think about it and right. see what comes out. So it was like, well, it sounds great, and uh, you know, let's let's talk again. And I got in my car. I literally, I, and I was out with Mary Lou Henner right after I got this gig. And Mary Lou was like, "And what'd you say? What you got in the car? What'd you say? You called your agent and said, don't f this up, right?'" I go, "That's exactly what I said." I, I called him up and I said, "Don't screw this up, man." I go, "I love the show. This guy Riaz Patel, who's a, a a game and TV show genius, as far as I'm concerned, and he." Uh, and not just because he wanted to hire me, but for other reasons. Um, <laughs> I loved him. I loved the fact that they wanted me. They told me that they, you know, they they looked at a gazillion people and they all compared their notes. And I was the guy that was on every. No other person made everybody's top three. Um, and but I did. And so they were like, well, if that's a, if he's on everybody's top three, that has to be our guy. And so I was lucky enough that they hired me for that. And uh, and just like I thought, people responded to it and. Uh, my son loves it. Uh, families would tweet and email me saying, this is the greatest show for families. Thank you for doing the show. And truth be told, I'm just a buffoon reading a teleprompter. You know, I mean, it's not a, it's not a heavy Jimmy Pardo show. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, me reading a prompter and leading people through what's happening. Um, and it's, it's escape room. So they're, it's they're, escape room. they're like big now. They're, which, this was, and this was last July that we did this and it was on for July and August of 2015. Literally, the second that our last episode airs, escape rooms become the biggest fad in the country. And uh, so we still don't know what's happening if, you know, about season two, but um, uh, it is, uh, it's becoming this huge fad. Did they, did they make you go in an escape room? I never did one until after I had done the show. And what was it like? It was maybe the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because, you know, as, as the sarcastic comedian, I'm able to watch the video and make my jokes and then write jokes down. And, you know, some got approved by the network, some didn't. And, um, you know, they caution, they, they erred on the side of family as opposed to just making fun of people. Um, but I would see them and I would go, dude, it's right behind you. How do you not see the key hanging right behind you? Well, it turns out when you go to an escape room, it's not that easy to see the key <laughs> right behind you. And I even, I texted this Riaz, uh, my friend Riaz, who was the producer. I said, uh, I just did an escape room. You and I owe every contestant an apology because, damn it, this is hard. And uh, but th- it's great fun. See, that's cool. Now, now, how uh, do you go back on Conan at all? Uh, 
as a um, as a guest. You, uh, in fact, I'll be on uh, well, this airs uh, what uh, Wednesday? No, this airs Thursday and Friday. I was on last night. Oh, you were on last. night? I was night. on Wednesday night. Okay, so you're on. Uh, I go on every six months as a guest, um, and then or whatever else they need me to do. If they need me to do it for a sketch, I'll do that. If they, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough that they, you know, I'm part of the family, and you know, whenever I have my podcastathon to plug, they have me come on for that or. You know, sometimes I just go on just to, hey, our buddy Jimmy Pardo is here. And your podcast? Never Not Funny. Is on Earwolf? Uh, we are on Earwolf, okay. yeah. We've we, uh, only been with Earwolf for the last two years. We were our own, our, uh, we were a lone wolf for many years, and then we eventually uh, joined up with those guys. And now you're one of the original podcasts. Started in 2006. So you're like, you're like on the forefront. I'm told I'm a pioneer, and I will take that word. A lot of people say that I was the first, and there's obviously that's insane, but... Uh, I'm happy with the term pioneer. Well, I know in when the first time you were on, I believe you said you had John Hamm on your show. John was uh, what, your first guest or one of your. Uh, he was on very early, uh, you know, and uh, and Conan was nice enough to come on. Even when he was hosting the Tonight Show, he came on. I knew the guy two months and he came on the podcast. I mean, which just speaks volumes on how you know he and I a clicked and b how decent of a human being he is. Um, but you know, since then, I mean, I've had you know, I've had, you know, Amy Poehler and Sarah Silverman, and John Hamm and Ty Burrell and David Steinberg and. Uh, Richard Kine and Stephen Weber was just on, and you know, uh, Paul of our buddy Paul of Tompkins is a regular. Scott Aukerman, you know, the cream of the cream of comedy, and uh, uh, and it changed a little bit with Airwolf, where you know it's it's not as loosey goosey as it was when it was just me at my dining room table. Right. Now it's a little more, you know, uh, corporate without being corporate, uh, uh, which I like. I like the structure of it, and I like uh, being part of a team. Now, how often do you record it? We do two a week. We do uh, one that goes out free, uh, and that drops every Wednesday. Uh, nevernotfunny.com or over there at Earwolf. Uh, and then we do one that is a paid subscriber second show that gives you that second show and then plus video for both shows. So different guests. Uh, different guests. Okay, so like, like who did you have on this week? This week was uh, uh, Kulap Vilaisak, who has a, uh, she's the producer of a brand new show on CISO uh, called uh, Bajillion Dollar Properties that our buddy Paul Tompkins is one of the stars of. Okay. Uh, so uh, we had her on, and I've known Kulap for a long time. She was at my wedding. I was at hers, and she's a, having a, ter- a tremendous uh, success now as a actress and producer. And uh, so it was great to have her on. And then last week we had on uh, it was, uh, Stephen Weber and Cristela Alonso, and uh, uh, who was the other? Uh, April Richardson was just on, who's a great funny lady. And so now it's are each episode an hour, or what's the format? About two hours. And, but is, uh, it, is it one guest for two hours? One guest for two hours. The first half hour is me and and and, the, and my cast alone. Uh, Matt Belknap is my co-host, and then a guy named Elliot Hochberg is the video producer. But he, and then a guy named Garen Cockrell is our intern. But we're, it's kind of a, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, a morning radio team. Okay. So they're my crew, and we do the first half hour alone, and then the guest joins us for the last. It's only supposed to be the last hour for. And then, but we ended up going closer to two hours. Now, are you still doing stand up a lot? Mm. I mean, any gigs coming up? Nothing. I don't really do a lot around town. Uh, you know, I seem to get my fix with the podcast or, you know, when I was at Conan every day. Uh, but I'll be in Minneapolis uh, March 18th and 19th. I, and uh, I think I got flappers coming up in Burbank at some point. Okay. Well, I, I saw you uh, do warm up for Conan a while back. Uh, I was after you were on my show, and I didn't, I didn't want to say anything because you're down there, but because I remember uh, Brian Kiley got me the tickets. Okay. Because my girlfriend, before she moved out here, she came in town. She's a big Conan fan. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to impress her. You know? Isn't so that I, the greatest? I send Brian a message. I go, can you get me tickets? And then we get the VIP. And of course, when you get the VIP tickets on Conan, you feel like a jerk because you're standing there all by yourself and everyone's looking at you like, who are those people? Why, why was I here at four in the morning? Yeah, and you're, next, you're standing there. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember because it was a sketch. I, the guests were Myra, Myra Rooney. Who? 
uh, uh, Mara, Rooney Mara, Mara Rooney, that actress was in the, uh, in the, um, oh, she just, the, she, she, yeah, she was in the girl with a tattoo. Yes. And, and you did warm up and you had a dark suit on. Sure. And then I remember because Eddie Papatone was in a sketch and he was heckling Conan. But when Eddie came in, I was like, I said to my girlfriend, that's Eddie because Eddie had been on my show. Uh-huh. He's like, hey, how you doing? But we don't want that anyone to know. Well, they, right. So I remember, I forget, it was Mooney, Rooney Mara and I forget who else it was, but it was fun. And it was good because, yeah, you came up, you did your time. And I've been at shows, you know, like, I mean, we, you know, I think now there's Gary Cannon do the one. Gary right Cannon does it now, yeah. yeah. And I know, I know Gary, I had gone to see Sullivan and some when he warmed up. Right. And it's a different thing because you have to. He does yeah. the more traditional. Right. And there's a skill to that. It's a skill oh, it's that I don't yeah. have. He, he's great at it. But he now. gets them going, boy. Oh, yeah. And he, now, yeah, so. In fact, I was the guy when I had to shoot, I had to miss a couple of days to do Race to Escape. Uh, and I had to miss some Conan's. And they said, you know, and I knew some other guy, Jeff Ahern, I think is a great warm up. And, uh, but I knew Gary, Gary was already on the lot. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I know they're in safe hands with Gary. Uh, uh, I'm not going to have to panic and be stressed out that, oh my God, I hope he does. Okay. Gary's going to do great. And then when it was, I decided to leave and, you know, we, uh, you know, uh, well, who do we get to replace Jimmy? It was, it was a no brainer. You get Gary Cannon. Now, now, are you going out for acting roles anymore? Yeah. Or you just so you so you you want you want to host more? Yeah, and and I mean, I have a development deal with Conan's company. Okay, so we're developing shows all the time, and you know, going out and pitching them and seeing what can happen. And uh, you know, we had a couple of things that were close last year that didn't did end up happening. Uh, and then we're you know we're still going. We got another thing that's in play right now, and uh, hopefully one of those will click. Would you ever want to be a talk show host? Yes, of I mean, I mean, you know, you were hosting I mean, the game, but. You know the problem with that, Stephen, is is the landscape is full of them. I don't know what I could do that would be different. I mean, you know, Kimball's doing great stuff. Conan's doing great stuff. Fallon's doing that variety show that people are enjoying. Um, you know, James Corden's doing his own thing, and, and like everybody's got their own. You know, Colbert and yeah, obviously, and, uh, you know, Samantha Bee's new show is phenomenal. It's not a talk show, but it's still uh, wonderful. I I don't know. It would have to be something completely out of the box, you know, which is why I love game shows so much is because I love the structure of a game show that also allows me to be funny. Right. Uh, whereas it's not a, oh, here's another guy hawking their appearance on a, you know, a sitcom. Well, I want to thank you for coming back oh, on. That's my good. God, I hope I didn't rattle my mouth too much. No, I, no that's 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 why I, I just listened. That's, I know, but you, man, you were great. That's I mean, what I do. I just, every I question to was people. A, I, 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 I Time it out. I, I know, you know, that's what it's good. Now, give all your info. Where they can, can I, can I, we, uh, I want to mention Parkcast-a-thon. Oh, yeah, tell everybody. Uh, which is uh, Saturday, March 5th. It goes from noon to midnight Pacific time, uh, and it streams live. The video streams live at nevernotfunny.com. We are raising money for Smile Train, which is the great organization that goes to third world countries, and um, they perform the surgery to fix cleft palates on kids and sometimes adults that can't otherwise afford the surgery. Each surgery only costs because of doctors and technicians and uh, assistants all donating their time. Uh, each surgery only costs $250 and only takes 45 minutes. Well, good. Well, people should listen to that. Please, at nevernotfunny.com, and please donate. Uh, we've So far, we've raised close to 800000 over the past seven years. So people check it out. Okay, Thank go. You. And also, I'll go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 480 episodes up there. You can email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. I'll get back to you. Instagram is coopertalk1. Uh, Twitter is at coopertalk. And my website, stopthesalt.com. It's my low-sodium cookbook. Go buy it. It's got 120 recipes. Easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. It's good for single guys. You know, and they're all healthy. Not a lot of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. There's not any any, any recipes. So go to stopthesalt.com. You can buy it on Amazon or 
Barnes & Noble, but buy it from me on SlapTheSlot.com, and I make more money, and I'll sign it. So don't forget, keep listening to Cooper Talk. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. Check out Jimmy Pardo. Google him. Look up his stuff. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>